My name is Tim, and I'm one of the pastors here, and we are excited that you are here this morning. This morning, I want to try something new. I want everybody to grab their cell phone. I know you have a cell phone. Don't pretend like you don't. Grab it. This has a point. I know how to work it. It is a camera. All right, grab your phone. We're going to do something. You guys aren't grabbing your phones. We are all going to take a selfie together, all right? This has a point. Grab your phone, open up the camera app, hold it up. You can take a selfie with your friend, yourself, with the person behind you, the person next to you. On three, we are all going to take a selfie. One, two, three, selfie. All right, awesome. You can put your phone away. Great. You got your selfie of the day. Wonderful. All right. While you're still figuring out how to put your phone away, do you remember the time when there were no selfies? When you, maybe some of you that was never a reality, but you would have a camera or maybe even your, your phone with one camera on it, didn't have three cameras on it, and you would have this picture worthy moment whether it would be a waterfall or a sunset or a monument, and you would be, like, overwhelmed, and you would like to take a picture. You wanted to capture it, so you would, you would focus in on it. You would take the picture, and then it was yours. But now, when we see that monument, when we see that waterfall, when we see that sunset, we have to get ourselves in that photo with that picture-worthy moment in the background and us right there front and center. We are a people that love to live in selfie mode. And I have some of my favorite selfies I want to show you. First of all, here is Lane and me. There we are. Lane, play, Lane losing at Minute to Win It. Um, another one, me and an alpaca, of course. He's smiling. I thought I should smile too. And my all-time favorite is me and a stormtrooper. She looks really excited that I just jumped in front of the stormtrooper and snapped that picture. But we are a people, we are a culture that loves to take selfies. And uh, 2 Timothy 3 says this, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of selfies, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy. Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter, YouTube loves to help us, and they thrive on putting us in this culture of selfieism. Like, we'd love to be a people who posts what we are thinking, and tell the entire world what is happening in our lives. We feel like we need to be the center of everything. But did you know on your phone, there is a, oh, it went away, there's a button that you can hit, and now I can't see myself, right? It doesn't matter how much I try, I can't see myself anymore, and there is a way that you and I can turn our lives off of selfie mode. In fact, did you know that this is exactly how Satan works? In fact, when Satan fell, he decided he was no longer going to worship God, and he was going to turn his life onto selfie mode. 
He was going to worship himself. In fact, that's how he went after Eve. Satan didn't come to Eve and say, follow me and worship me. He said, Eve, look at the fruit. Go after what you want. What is it that you desire? Stop following God. Don't live underneath his rule in his reign. Eve, you do you. You pursue what you want. And he persuaded Eve to flip her life over onto selfie mode. That's how Satan works. Satan is incredibly smart and clever. And he has been studying people for thousands of years. And he knows how to entice us. He knows how to lure us in so that we give in to temptation and we give in to sin. He's not old, but he knows the exact bait to use when he goes fishing. William Jenkins says this. He has an apple for Eve, a grape for Noah, and a bag for Judas. He is a skilled archer with a bow and arrow who knows how to pull it back and rarely misses his target. And he knows that if he can get us to live our lives on selfie mode, then he is one. So here's the question. How do we get our lives off of selfie mode? Well, grab your Bibles and let's go to James chapter 4. James chapter 4, if you don't have a Bible, we're going to put it on the screen behind me. And uh, James is writing to a group of Christians, and in chapter 4, he describes three ways to take our lives off of selfie mode. James chapter 4, we're going to start reading in verse 1. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity with, against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit that has caused us to dwell in him? But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Why does James call these Christians adulterous people? Well, think about the word adultery and what that means. I mean, Basically, it means cheating on your spouse. And in the New Testament, the Bible t calls the church the bride of Christ. He says, you all, if you have put your faith in Christ, you are the bride of Christ. And when we sin, when we flip our lives around onto selfie mode, when we give in to temptation, we're cheating on God, committing adultery on God, because you and I, we are the bride of Christ. So every time we sin, every time we give in to temptation, every time we say, I'm going to do me today, 
I'm going to live my life for me. I'm locking hands with the world, and I'm saying, this is what I want to pursue, chasing after my own desires. James says, you are adulterous people. The world, and we live in selfie mode, pursuing what we want to pursue. He says, don't have friendship with the world. Don't pursue their values. Don't pursue their ways of thinking. Focus on God. Flip that camera app around and focus on God. He is right there in front of us. And he says that God is jealous. He says, God sees you and I flirting with the world, and it creates a jealousy. What does that mean that God is jealous? Here's what John Piper says about that. God is not jealous like an insecure employer who fears that his employees might get lured away by a better salary elsewhere. God's jealousy is not the reflex of weakness or fear. Instead, God is jealous like a powerful and merciful king who takes a peasant girl from a life of shame, forgives her, marries her, and gives her not to chores of a slave, but the privileges of a wife, a queen. His jealousy does not rise from fear or weakness, but from a holy indignation at having his honor and power and mercy scorned by the faithlessness of a fickle spouse. When God sees you and I flirting with the world, it breaks his heart. He sees us and he says, I want you. I desire you. I love you. I sent Jesus to die on the cross for you. And so when he sees you and I living our lives in selfie mode, when he sees you and I living our lives pursuing pleasure, pursuing temptation, pursuing sin, he says, look, I love you so much. I want you. You belong to God. And he's jealous for your affection. He's jealous because he desires a relationship with you and I. And he is full of grace and mercy. And despite our sin, God wants you for himself. And he is filled with grace and mercy. And he says, I oppose the proud. But because he is a God of grace and mercy, that demands a response from you and I. And that response should be humility. That's why verse 7, James says this. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. That word submit carries the idea of opposing yourself against as, as being a controller. To oppose yourself as being a controller and submit yourself like someone in the military, putting yourself under the authority and the rule of your general. That requires us to acknowledge that the God of the universe is in control. 
We're to lay down our lives for him, submit our lives to him, recalibrate our thinking, recalibrate our affection, saying, God, you are in control. I am a prideful, arrogant person. And I need to fight against the enemy. And part of fighting the enemy, part of fighting against temptation requires me to humble myself, to get my life off of selfie mode. As I submit, I need to remind myself, I am not living for my kingdom. I'm living for the kingdom of God. And every time I'm on selfie mode, I'm living for the kingdom of Tim. Let me tell you, living for your own kingdom is like this eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper, right? This is the picture of your kingdom, right? We have this really nice, bright, pink colored kingdom. We can put it right there. And look, when you're in your kingdom, you can go wherever you want. You're in charge. It's your kingdom. I mean, you can move around and do all sorts of things, but hey, you're in charge. You're the boss. You're the king, you're the queen of your small, tiny kingdom. Or you and I can step out of that and we can be a servant in God's kingdom. There's only two kingdoms. Jesus says you, there's, you can't serve two masters. You either love the one or hate the other. But we can't serve our own kingdom and God's kingdom at the same time. And James is calling the listeners, the readers, to get out of yourself, to flip yourself out of selfie mode, move away from your own kingdom, and serve the kingdom of God. Humble yourself. So the first strategy is this, get humble. If you want to fight against temptation, if you want to fight against the enemy, it will require us to get humble. Here's what C.S. Lewis says about humility. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Being humble doesn't mean that you're a doormat. It doesn't mean that you act like Eeyore and go, I'm no good, I'm terrible, I'm such a loser. It's not that at all. Being humble just means I'm going to think of Tim less often. Being humble means I'm going to get my life off of selfie mode and I'm going to start thinking of others more. I'm going to start thinking of God more. So what is, what is pride? I think pride is really blinding. I want to give you a couple of examples. There's a book called The Exemplary Husband. Stuart Scott writes a whole chapter on pride, and he actually gives 30 manifestations of pride. I'm not going to give you all 30 manifestations, but here's a few. What does pride look like? Number one, pride is complaining against God. Have you ever complained or passed judgment on God? That's what a proud person does. A proud person looks at a situation and they think, look at what God has done to me. A proud person, they lack gratitude. They're not very thankful. They think that they deserve all the things that that are happening or they deserve better. But also, they see themselves as better than others. Do you look at others and go, well, I'm, I'm probably better than that person. I'm probably better than that person. 
I know I'm smarter than that person. That's pride. But also, it's perfectionism. Do you look at your life and think, I've got to make sure everything is just right. Everything has to be perfect so that I get the recognition. That's pride. Pride is also talking too much. It's also talking too much about yourself. Prideful people talk a lot. And prideful people talk too much about themselves. But also, they're consumed with what others think. Are you consumed? Are you worried? Are you focused about what everybody else is thinking about you? That's pride. It's also being unteachable. When people speak into your life, are you accepting of that criticism? Are you accepting of that advice? Or are you pushing back on that? This is a hard one. Sarcastic, hurtful, degrading. All of that is pride. And so if I want to become humble, I have to first take pride and put it off. And I have to put on humility. So here's what James says. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. It's the idea of standing against the enemy who wants to attack you. This verse calls us to know what God's word says. I have to know what the scripture says if I'm going to resist temptation. I have to know what God's word is clearly outlining for my life. I think another aspect of resisting the devil is reminding and remembering, your, remembering who we are in Christ. As, as Ephesians 6 talks about, put on the full armor of God. I think all of that is really connected to the gospel. And as we put on the full armor of God, it is essential to remind ourselves, this is who I am. And this is whose I am. I am holy, I am blameless, I am righteous, I am free, I am his workmanship, and I am his son. Those are critical elements to fighting and resisting the devil. Because Satan wants you to forget all of those things. Satan wants you and I to flip our lives around on selfie mode and forget who we are in Christ and I think you and I, we probably fall into one of two ditches. The first ditch is, is we blame everything on Satan, right? I mean, if you get a flat tire, you're like, oh, Satan got me again. No, you probably drove on Pennsylvania roads, and that was just it. I don't think Satan's out there digging out potholes. Uh, maybe you, um, you woke up and you weren't feeling so good. You got a cold and you thought, oh, that's Satan. He's coming after me. No, you probably went to work and somebody had a cold and you got sick. Um, or, or maybe your toaster stopped working and you're like, ah, oh, Satan is messing with my toaster. No, it's 20 years old and probably has a loose wire. Or the other, the other ditch is, is Satan does nothing, right? And, and those are two ditches. Satan does everything or he does nothing. But I think we need a really balanced view of that. Look at what James says in chapter 1. James 1 verse 14. But each person is tempted when they are, what? 
when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. There are desires inside of you and me that are luring, that are drawing us away. And Satan is using those things. He is smart. He's creative. He's been studying people for thousands of years. He's not all powerful and he's not all knowing, but he knows what kind of bait to use when he goes fishing. Notice what he says in the beginning of chapter four. What causes fights and quarrels among you? You ever had that question? Why do people fight all the time? Why do I fight with my spouse? Why do I fight with my kids? Why do I fight with my boss? Why do we fight? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill, right? You want something really, really badly. You can't have it, so you sin to get it. You covet, you want something, you go after it. You can't get what you want, so what? You quarrel and you fight. You either sin to get what you want, or you sin when you don't get what you want. James is saying it's all about your desires and your wants. You do not have because you don't ask God. And when you do ask God, you don't receive because what? You ask with wrong motives and you want to spend them on your own pleasures. James is saying, you and I, when we sin, when we give in to temptation, it's because of our desires. We have been lured away and enticed by desires that sit inside of us. Sometimes Satan uses that. And sometimes we're just really, really good at sabotaging ourselves. He says, you do what you do because you want what you want. The devil didn't make you do it. You wanted it. You do what you do because you want what you want. And when we are fighting against the enemy, we have to recognize that those desires are inside of us. Leads us to our second strategy. We need to get serious. If we are going to fight against the enemy, if we're going to fight against sin, it will require us to resist the devil and get serious. We have to resist those thoughts and those temptations. Go to him in prayer and recognize, God, these thoughts, they're not true, they're not honorable, they're not pure. Help me resist temptation. Let me ask you this question. What does non-resistance look like? Looks like giving in. Non-resistance looks like pride. So what does resistance look like? It means fighting back. It means humbling ourselves. It means recalibrating our thoughts, going to God in prayer, and running away from those things. And you know, sometimes those thoughts, they just come in. They weren't invited. They just show up. And it is really difficult 
to fight some of those thoughts away. For some of you, those thoughts come rapid fire. It's like a metronome. They just keep showing up over and over and over again. How do you get away from those thoughts? Let's talk about that. For some of you, you're going to have to take some radical measures. Jesus says if your hand causes you to sin, you should cut it off. Now, Jesus didn't literally mean cut off your hand, but what he means is take radical measures. For some of you, you need to dumb down your phone. For some of you, you need to delete some apps. For some of you, you need some kind of filters or software or accountability on your phone or your computer. For some of you, you just need to get rid of your phone. I'm not saying that phone or technology is bad or evil, but you haven't been using it very wisely. For some of you, radical amputation means getting rid of all the alcohol in your house. I'm not saying that drinking is wrong or sinful, but for some of you, you've been consumed and controlled by it so much that you shouldn't be anywhere near it. That's for you. And resisting the devil means I need to find out what is in my life that I need to radically move away from me. Get it out of my view. Get it out of my house. For some of you, it might just be a relationship. This relationship is not helping me. And you need to shine the light on that sin and include other people in your lives to help you fight. So we resist the devil by submission, humility, and drawing near to God. So verse 8, he says, come near to God and he will come near to you. And then he uses this phrase, he says, wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. That's an interesting phrase. What he's talking about there is repentance. He's talking about turning away from our sin and turning towards God. And this idea of, of drawing near to God, I think that when we draw near to God, that's how we fight sin. But I want you to hear this. Just because you've messed up doesn't mean you should give up. Just because you've messed up doesn't mean you should give up and just throw in the towel. Because you gave in to temptation, because you sinned, because you blew it again, you can still draw near to God. Here's what Hebrews 4 says. Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 16 says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive what? Mercy and find grace to help us in the time of need. When you're fighting temptation, one of the greatest ways you can resist, one of the greatest ways you can fight temptation is to get on your knees and pray and draw near to God. 
whatever you're doing, whatever is happening, start praying. Enter into that throne room and pray. And for some of you, you need to stay there in that throne room until that temptation passes. You need to stay there until you get that grace and mercy that you so badly need. How do we fight the enemy? How do we flip our lives off of selfie mode? Draw near to God. Get on your knees and pray. Get alone in the throne room of grace and talk to your heavenly father. Draw near to him and he will draw near to you. The third strategy is get holy. Purify your hearts. Get holy. This is the idea of repentance. And as we draw near to him, as we repent of our sin, as we turn away from our sin and call it what it is, the result is this that we would humble ourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. So the result is that you will gain freedom. James ends with this thought and he says, if you do these things, if you humble yourselves before the Lord, then he will lift you up. This is so hard. Resisting temptation, resisting the devil humbling ourselves, drawing near because we think, I can do it. I can fight it. I can make it. I don't need anybody to help me. But we are prideful, arrogant people. And for some of you, your strategy is I just need to phone a friend. I need to text a friend right now because I'm feeling overwhelmed. I'm feeling stressed. I'm feeling tempted. I'm feeling discouraged. And I just need to get out ahead of this. For some of you, you need to tell on yourself. I'm struggling with this and shine the light on it because sin and black mold love to grow in darkness. Expose it, call it out, embarrass sin before it embarrasses you. If you wanna resist temptation, if you want to fight against the enemy, if you want to flip your life off of selfie mode, you got to do these things. As we wrap up today, let me close by saying this. This morning, if you're here and you don't know Jesus and, and you don't really understand what we've been talking about with this spiritual war going on, come talk to me. Come talk to Jeff. Talk to Reed. Talk to one of the leaders here. Talk to somebody who brought you here this morning and just say, hey, tell me more about Jesus, maybe you're here today and you're, you're totally new and you don't even have a Bible. We would love to give you a Bible. There are Bibles back there on our welcome desk. That is a gift to you. Take it. Take it home. Start reading through the gospel of John and explore and read and figure out who is Jesus. We want you to help. We want to help you understand what does it look like to have that relationship with Jesus. But I also want to give a little shout out for next week. We're, next week, we're going to start a brand new relationship series. 
called Relationship Goals. We're going to talk about singleness. We're going to talk about dating. We're going to talk about marriage. We're going to talk about relationships with our bosses, all sorts of relationships. And that's a place you can come and hear about what God's Word says about that sphere of your life. But as we wrap up, let me give you the three ways to fight the enemy. First of all, get humble, get serious, and get holy. And so for you, as you walk away today, my challenge to you is, which one of these do you need to work on this week? Are you humble? Are you serious about the fight? Are you holy? Have you been repenting? You say, Tim, it's probably all three. Pick one. Because here's what I know is true about me. It's probably true about you. If you try to do all three of those this week, you might fail, and you're going to feel like even bigger failure. Focus on one this week. Do you need to be humble, serious, or holy? Let me pray with you. Father, we are sometimes overwhelmed by temptation. God, it continues to come and just intrude our lives. Seems like a never-ending battle that doesn't go away. Father, for many of us, we feel like sin has such a grip on our lives. We don't honestly know what to do. We don't know where to even begin. And so I think of everybody here this morning who calls Bridgewater home, who is listening to this right now as they fight against temptation, as they work at getting free from sin, as they fight against the enemy, that you would give them a boldness and a confidence to humble themselves, to take this battle, take this fight seriously and draw near to you Continue to help us to remind ourselves of who we are in your son, Jesus. Pray all this in Christ's name.